Alternative Austin's heyday was the 1990s. But it wasn't just bands like Spoon and Explosions in the Sky who blossomed in this strange, liberal Texan town. Movie directors like Richard Linklater and Robert Rodriguez got their start here, too. At the center of the city's independent cinema scene is the Alamo Draft House at the Ritz, downtown on 6th Street. We met up with one of its founders, Tim Weed. This was a real hardcore western town in the 20s. And so a lot of cowboys came into Austin and saw their first movie here and allegedly uh, would get drunk and shoot at the screen because they were kind of freaked out by what was going on on screen. Um, <laughs> Adorning the walls here is a little bit of history from the Ritz. We have a bunch of flyers from punk shows that happened in the early 1980s. And it's been an operating movie theater since 1929. So it's got a really rich, cool history. How come you haven't got any of the posters from when it was a porn theater up? Um, you know, uh... <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> it's hard to track down the history of everything that was shown during those days. I bet. So this projection room really has everything in it. 35mm, 70mm, and digital film projectors for two auditoriums in a very small space. Oh my gosh, so wait, what's happening here? Getting the trailers ready for Weird Wednesday tonight. Okay. I feel like an idiot, but I sort of didn't realize that we were that you guys were still using these huge reels. Yeah, we. Um, so the series he's talking about, Weird Wednesday, started 12 or 13 years ago. It was every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, we show a 35 millimeter exploitation movie, usually from the 1970s. <laughs> so, My favorite genre. Yeah, it's great. And so um, I'm really proud of the fact that we actually can get a big crowd out on a Wednesday night at 10 o'clock to watch old movies on film. We're definitely going to be one of the last bastions still showing film in a digital age. To me, it's really important to be on this street. Uh, this is the most historically significant street in Texas. And I love being in the heart of the city. It's important for me to have a presence here. The I-35 freeway is known to many residents as the Berlin Wall. It separates East Austin from the skyscrapers and investment of the West. But while the West has money, it's on the East that you'll find the best food in town. Franklin is Austin's most famous barbecue joint, where people wait for hours before it opens at 11 a.m. The demand is so great that a black market has developed where people are paid to queue for third-party beef enthusiasts. You get here at like 8 o'clock, bring a cooler beer, some chairs. It's a tailgating experience. You drink all day, usually get to eat about noon. You have a nice buzz, and then it's literally, it's like eating art. What we do is Central Texas barbecue, kind of a German Czech kind of style, so it's like the meat market kind of stuff. How does that differentiate from other styles? A thing with that is, is that if you have to put sauce on it, it must be pretty bad. That's kind of the Central Texas way of thinking about these. So it's like really heavy on the pepper, heavy on the salt, everything's really crusty and barky. This is the old smoky house. It is crazy hot in here. I'm like sweating. This is kind of real specific to how we cook. A lot of people use ovens, rotisseries, electric things. This is all just like wood. So it's got a fire in this thing. This is called the firebox, and it's got a single grate. All the meat goes in there and a huge chimney on the other end, so it just pulls all the heat and airflow through. We cook about 100 briskets a day, which equates to about 38,000 pounds a month of just brisket. We've got this guy, 6'7", on beef ribs. Are you going to get bigger? Is this going to become a franchise? No, this is as large as it'll ever be. Ever? Ever. You know, it's not like it's going to get better if we get bigger. Yeah. Although some small businesses like Franklin continue to do well in East Austin, 
many others around the city are inevitably closing in the face of change. Ever since the Stonewall riots, Austin's been recognized as a sanctuary for the Texas LGBTQ community, somewhere distant from the good old boys and the bad old testament. But that hasn't insulated the community from the effects of expansion and growth. We met up with popular local drag performer Rebecca Havemeyer to find out about change from her perspective, visiting one of her favorite, now spectacularly defunct old haunts. This was one of the hottest happening gay bars in Austin, Texas. Really? It's burnt now, just like most of the people's souls who used to go to it. That's been left open because the city don't give a shit about it. So all the the lesbians and the gay boys and, and everything in the middle was hanging out together. And it's in the middle of Texas. Yeah. This is like the Mordor of Texas. <laughs> so I was like, this is exciting. You got all this, you know, conservative crap around you. So what happened? Last year, around South by Southwest time, my friend called. She said, Lord, Rebecca, Sean Dream is on fire. I hopped on my little jalopy and I ran on down here and here it was ablaze. And we all mourned and did a little fake newscast about it. <laughs> it was our living room. This is where we hung out and this is where we like to see each other and catch up and suck dick and have a good time. Yeah, this one's seen its day. Wow. It is, woof, it was good. Sounds These like walls it. better not ever talk. <laughs> Austin's tech scene has been incubating since the 50s, blew up in the 90s, and today is the economic pulse of the city, creating thousands of jobs. It was in this environment that Austin became central to a revolution in creative tech, video game art. We went to Capital Factory, a co-working space where many of Austin's newest companies are born. Capital Factory is sort of the gravitational center of entrepreneurial activity you know, here in Austin. Sort of an incubator, as well as a shared workspace. It seems to me that music is at the center of Austin, you know, the seat of live music. But how does tech involve itself in the music scene and you know are there clashes there or do you feel like there's a kind of synergy there was a, a place uh, just a couple blocks from here that was called armadillo world headquarters in addition to all these wonderful musicians that were there there was a whole community of artists there that would all do the posters doing these great pen and ink line drawn illustrations but that pen and ink illustration turns out to be the skill we needed to have somebody take a mouse and do a pen and ink type of interpretation and so we began to train every one of the poster artists here in Austin and train them up as the first wave of computer game artists that existed in the computer gaming industry. That's so crazy. Right here in Austin, Texas. Of course, not all of Austin's residents have found themselves at the forefront of the tech sector's economic boom. Many poorer people in the area have found themselves displaced and struggling. Lola Stevens, longtime Austinite and owner of renowned Cajun joint Nubian Queen Lola's, has seen this change firsthand. So Make all this food in this tiny space. Everything, everything. Like chicken and sausage, gumbo, the crawfish, egg, toothpaste, hamburger, pork chop, chicken wing, fish, shrimp, fish, and shrimp. Anything could be a pork boy, anything could be a dinner. Oh my gosh. And a whole bunch of sides. What makes Cajun food Cajun food? The love that we put into it. What I learned and seen from my mother is made with compassion and a whole lot of love. Mm -hmm. And you got to be almost poor because Cajun food is made from whatever you got. You're putting me to work? Yes, ma'am, I need your help, thank you. So how, how have you seen this area change over the past 30 years? Oh my God, a drastic change. So what was it like back when you first arrived? It was loving. It was old, it was poor, totally a black community. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, people helping people. 
I miss that because it's totally leaving. Really? Yeah. A lot of those people that's homeless, what's the people that own homes right here in this neighborhood? Well, I've been homeless three times. You've been homeless three yes, times? Yes, ma'am. I've been homeless three times. And I'm going to tell you something, it's not an easy road to go down. I panhandled my way through. Really? Yes, ma'am. I opened this business from panhandling. But I do go out through out the community, and I'm feeding over 1,500. And we're giving them hot cooked food, making sure they have clothes, food, whatever we can get our hands on. I actually had to get the restaurant in order to feed the people the way I would like to feed the people. I really don't even want to be a restaurant. I would rather just be this great big kitchen with about four buses sitting out there, ready to go feed north, south, east, and west. That's what I would really like to do. While many communities in Austin are facing challenges, there are those finding ways to thrive, like hip-hop duo Riders Against the Storm, one of Austin's best live acts. The couple moved from the East Coast to the city years ago, attracted in part by the slogan, Keep Austin Weird. What drew you to the city? The rich kind of like musical history and different places in Austin that you can go to and experience people who really set roots for music on the East Side, black musicians, blues musicians. Yeah, I mean, they keep telling the story about how black people are leaving the city in droves and everything, but rarely do they tell a story about all the amazing black art and black organizations that is happening here, there's a lot going on. There was a period in time where hip-hop was not necessarily invited into a lot of spaces. You're being light on that. I'm being very light on that. When it we was first got blatantly here, racist. it was definitely a struggle getting shows downtown. A lot of these venues, they just weren't open to it. I think what we always want to emphasize is that it's beautiful things going on here outside of, you know, whatever political, socio-economical things that are occurring. In 2015, South by Southwest brought $317 million into the city. It's a fundamentally different monster to the DIY festival which began in 1987, where punk shows were strung together only by the passion of the people involved. Roland Swenson is one of the co-founders. It's a drug drugstore over here. You can buy LSD legally. Still? No. <laughs> right there, that's where Emo's nightclub used to be and it was the main punk rock venue for a really long time. This here is the Palm Door, and the White Stripes played there before anybody knew who they were. It's amazing. I'd worked with a lot of bands as a manager and a small label owner. One of the hardest things for all of those groups was to get known outside of Austin. So that was really the idea, to bring the music industry to come and see these great Austin bands performing in their native setting. Back then, life was pretty easy in a way because rents were really cheap. You could live on a part-time job. It was great. So there was a very vibrant art scene, you know, not just music, but also people making films and you know, painting and making sculpture. It was a very bohemian atmosphere. How do you feel about the city now? Well, in a lot of ways, it's, it's better. There are actually jobs now, and it's exciting. You know, do I miss the way it was? Sure. You know, can we go back? No. Like every other city, Austin's changing. If you set yourself up as a capital of creativity and DIY cool, inevitably people are going to want to join in. And with that comes gentrification. But while Austin mutates, the spirit of creativity does remain. And perhaps a city with such a habit of writing its own history will find a way for the locals, the artists, and the entrepreneurs to coexist happily, beneficially, and perhaps weirdly.